Sheriff, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us today. Well, thanks, Mike. It's great to be back. Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, you're busy, busy but good. Uh, one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on is uh, back uh, at the end of April, uh, the Office of the District Attorney sent out a notice that uh, a gentleman was being released uh, on parole, Terrell Lamont Threat. Uh, horrible, and we went over this on the show here, just a horrific act of, of murder uh, many years ago, and the parole board had decided <clears throat> apparently now that uh, he was good to go, and uh, their recommendation is that he be released. Wanted to get your take on this and the effects of uh, Prop 47 and where we are day with these kinds of decisions by the state parole board yeah uh, unfortunately we are seeing them over and over and some of it's not even necessarily the parole board some of it's just state policy that is uh, changing and simply saying you know you know changing their good time credits and so on so that they simply get out of prison earlier uh, I'm looking at a report on my computer right now that's kind of specific to the start from uh, since COVID started, but we have uh, we've tracked a total of 840 early releases in the last couple of years. Of those 840, 57% of those individuals have already reoffended. Um, some of them multiple times and. Uh, many for fairly serious crimes. So, uh, like, here's one for uh, assault with a deadly weapon. This guy was supposed to be in prison for four years and sent there in 2019, got out in 2021, and uh, ultimately rearrested the fifth time for ramming a stolen vehicle into a deputy's vehicle. Um, Here's another guy who was arrested for assault with a deadly weapon while he was supposed to be in prison. Um, the guy did uh, attempted different guy did attempted murder, a couple of drive-by shootings, should have been in prison. Uh, and I could, I mean, I could just go on and on with examples of this. Um, here's one that uh, he's in custody for murder again, and he should have been in prison. Uh, so. We see it regularly, and it's a direct result of the decisions that are coming out of the state. Sheriff, do we see any? Uh, this may this is probably a rhetorical question. <laughs> do we see any relief in sight, or as long as we have a supermajority uh, in Sacramento, are we, no pun intended, but handcuffed by this? Yeah, we are. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. There is no. Um, rational thought uh, being occurring in Sacramento right now. It's like uh, you know, they just our elected legislators seem to keep, or not all of them, but the supermajority of them. They seem to simply look at things and say, "Hey, this is uh, we need to just throw more money at this problem and give them more programs and so on, you know, things to help them." And while that's all well and good. Uh, I mean, I'll be the first to say I would love it if, you know, somebody who went to my jail never came back, right? That they did their time, <clears throat> they they get rehabilitated, and they never come back. But we're not dealing, for the most part, with rational people. A lot of them are simply 
criminals, and this is the world that they live in. And until they choose to change how they go about doing business, uh, they're going to go out and reoffend. And Sacramento just does not seem to grasp that fact. Sheriff, as we look at deterrence, we look at propositions like this, we look at, and, and we don't fortunately have that problem here in my estimation, but you look at DAs like George Gascon in Los Angeles County, and uh, and then we look at uh, Chase Bodine, San Francisco, and we see on, 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 the, on the front side of it a reluctance to really give harsh sentences for harsh behavior. It seems like even when we have a county that is pro-law enforcement and uh, is is willing to take a good hard stand on enforcing the law, there's so much that's out of our control. I guess the question I'm asking is, what can we, do other than respond at the ballot box, what else can we do as citizens that are quite perplexed by this? Yeah, I, I mean, I would tell you that everyone in our county needs to be sending letters, emails, phone calls to uh, their elected legislators. Now, I will say that both Adam Gray and Heath Floor, the two assemblymen that, that represent uh, our county currently, uh, as it sits today, they're, they are both 100% on board and, you know, they believe in the rule of law, law enforcement, keeping our communities safe. You know, but we need to start reaching out outside of them. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of the electoral maps now, it's really, it's less about being left versus right, and it's really almost more about um, urban versus rural, if you will. And, you know, when I say urban, I'm talking about the major metropolitan areas, Southern California, the Bay Area, Sacramento. You know, they're all, they all kind of, go one way, and quite frankly, the rest, the geographically, the majority of the state really wants to see things different. And so I think our, elect, our, our citizens, they need to go beyond just reaching out to our local legislators and start uh, reaching out to those in other areas, and then reach out to your friends or family who live in those areas and tell them to do the same thing. You know, engage those legislators. And start making a cry for change. Uh, that's that's ultimately what needs to happen, and I think you're starting to see it happen. I think that you are starting to see a lot of those folks that I'll just say are kind of politically just in the middle. Uh, they are starting to feel the impacts of this. You know, when you watch the news and you see all these smash and grabs and all of the nonsense that goes on in some of these other areas. Uh, people are getting tired of it. When people, uh, you know, the San Francisco DA is up for recall, um, that that tells you something. When you have a very um, non-law enforcement friendly city that is going to potentially going to recall their DA, uh, people are getting tired of this. I think the feeling I'm getting, especially as, as we talk to people here on the show, again, we're talking with Sheriff Jeff Dirksy, Stanislaus County. The feeling I'm, I'm sensing is nobody is opposed to rehabilitation. Nobody is opposed to lives being changed, but we're also recognizing what's real. And what's real is not everybody is going to respond to that, especially if they don't want to. And Good deterrence, stiff sentences are are appropriate. 
And uh, so I, I resonate with what you're saying in, in terms of connecting with others. And I, I agree with you. I think the level of frustration amongst the public right now is such that people are starting to wake up and say something <clears throat> something has uh, has to change. So we appreciate your comments on that yep. line. Sheriff, uh, no, I don't hundred percent it does. I don't I don't want to uh, conduct a Monday morning or even a Tuesday morning quarterback situation on the tragedy in Uvalde, but uh, let's let's bring it home to Stanislaus County. Can you tell us what uh, what do we have here in place in terms of protocols and training uh, that would help us to respond to situations, tragic situations like they had in Uvalde? Yeah, yeah, and, and it is just that. It is a, a tragedy, and I think we can all agree on that. You know, from that pure law enforcement standpoint, uh, I know that, quite frankly, since I've been in this profession, I've been a cop now for 15 years, and our training has always been in, in Stanislaus County that, you know, if there is, God forbid, an incident like this, whether it's at a school or somewhere else, uh, the expectation is that the first cop on scene, whether it's a, you know, an MPD officer, a Turlock officer, a sheriff's deputy, the first cop on scene um, will move towards uh, the attacker. Uh, in an attempt to stop a tragedy like that. And then as everyone else starts to show up, they'll, they will uh, likewise, you know, fall in and move behind them and, uh, you know, in an attempt to stop it. So I believe from a kind of a policy standpoint, we're in a good position. Uh, we do quite a lot of training uh, for situations like this. Now, when I say that, it, you know, it's very difficult to replicate that scenario because you have to have a, an awful lot of actors, and right. uh, that's some, uh, something that can only be done periodically. But you know, whether it's uh, you know firearms training, whether it's um, you know um, scenario-based training or anything else, uh, and it doesn't have to be quite to this you know to that scale. Uh, but we do do a number of different trainings that focus around that. Um, you know, because, you know, one of the big things to overcome, too, is, you know, a cop or uh, any law enforcement person who's responding, you know, by nature, they want to stop and help victims. Uh, you know, say if someone is shot, but you can hear further gunfire, you literally have to move right past those who have already been injured uh, to stop the threat. And so we have uh, trained that uh, quite extensively. And, you know, I'm not going to Monday morning quarterback either, or I guess Tuesday afternoon quarterback, because I don't know the details of it. But uh, I would say that my expectation here you know, would be that if, God forbid, we ever see that scenario, you would see a very different type of response uh, take place. Lastly, uh, Sheriff, got about uh, two minutes left. Uh, in in uh, the time that you have been in your position as Sheriff, anything that that you've learned uh, that has been new to you or revelations to you, things that have uh, helped you through your experience as sheriff to see the future a little better? Anything come up on your radar screen that's been revelatory in, in any ways? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, you know, the idea of revelatory, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, we spend an awful lot of time – uh, as a profession, talking about ways to to prevent, you know, I'll go back to Evaldi, these major critical incidents. 
And you know, one of our, our core values here at the Sheriff's Office is innovation. So we try to spend a lot of our time thinking about, okay, what if, how would we prevent whatever the case may be, an active shooter, uh, it could be drownings at the reservoir, you know, traffic issues, you know, from at least from the law enforcement standpoint. And I think that we have generally been fairly successful with that. Um, and that that forward thinking idea, you know, you know, I ask the question a lot of times, okay, you know, I, I don't like the the answer of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, sometimes that's appropriate, but how can we do it better? And how can we really um, change the dynamic of how we do things? And, you know, in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of conversation about uh, the community and policing and race relations and so on. And all of that's very appropriate in that setting as well of changing that dynamic of, um, you know, keeping our community safe, engaging our community, but remember, Remembering at the end of the day, our primary function is law enforcement as well, and um, you know, getting out there and holding people accountable. So we have, I guess, by way of revelation, it is the amount of conversation and discussion that we have about all of these different kind of topics, uh, just to to both engage the community but to keep it safe. Our guest. Stanislaus County Sheriff Jeff Dirksy, uh, sir, thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. I know you're you're a busy man. Appreciate that very much, and congratulations. Uh, you're running unopposed, so I will say congratulations on your new term as sheriff. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Mike, and uh, happy to come on any time. Very good. Again, uh, Stanislaus County Sheriff Jeff Dirksy with us. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate you being with us. If you'd hold just a moment, our producer would like to uh, talk to you very briefly. You're listening to The Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Back in three minutes. On air and online, take The Mike Douglas Show with you with the iHeartRadio app. Search 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this Tuesday afternoon on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Happy to have you with us after this Memorial Day weekend. By the way, uh, anybody uh, see Maverick, the new Top Gun? Getting a lot of reports uh, about it, a lot of good feedback thus far. My chances of being able to see, and uh, by the way, apparently it's uh, it's setting major records at least for um for the labor or labor day for the memorial day weekend and uh let's see do i have any stats on that apparently well yeah it took in uh, 156 million dollars in the u.s and canada over memorial day weekend that was a box offered uh, box office record for the holiday uh saw the original one uh enjoyed it uh, but that was a, a long time ago. All I'm hearing are positive comments about this one. Again, unfortunately, uh, the likelihood of me being able to uh, see it is rather remote, given my schedule. But uh, we shall uh, we shall attempt to get out there. How about the gas? Have you checked gas prices out Memorial Day weekend? Good night. Last week, apparently, five counties in California had the priciest fuel. Uh, they were all in the rural north. 
of California, Mono, Humboldt, Del Norte, Trinity, and Napa counties. Uh, of course, nationwide, everybody's feeling the ouch. In fact, I had to go, I had to go fill up a bunch of my gas cans. Uh, my uh, John Deere mower, I had used the last fuel that I had for it, and so I had to go fill up my my gas cans. It also fuels, of course, the uh, uh, the special mixtures for the weed whacker, and I have a gas-powered generator that I test once a month. So anyway, the, to, to refuel and get ready for an emergency or just to uh, fuel my yard maintenance equipment, and granted, I have a lot of titanium weeds and a lot of yard to cover. Cost me over a hundred bucks, hundred and eight dollars. I was just, uh, I was just shocked. And uh, so, anyway, apparently uh, across the nation, uh, of course, gas is surpassing four dollars a gallon in all fifty, uh, all fifty states. And it's very interesting to me. They're saying that California has higher gas prices. Uh, according to the LA Times anyway, than the rest of the country because of a couple of factors, including higher gas taxes, yep, environmental laws requiring a unique blend of cleaner fuel that costs more to produce, check, yep, both of those are accurate. And uh, then there's uh, generic problems across the nation, supply chain problems, inflation, the war in Ukraine, and uh, so it, and, and that whatever fluctuations are due there really have to do with uh, Russia's oil supply and such. But uh, in rural areas, it's just more expensive to get fuel to uh, to rural areas. And, and there's less competition between gas stations, which uh, which set their own uh, own prices. And so it's uh, it's a very, very delicate and frustrating situation here just to uh, go over uh, let's see who's um, Tuolumne County has the least expensive average in our area our radio area 5.39 uh, 5.394 Stanislaus is next at 6.04 then Merced 6.09 San Juan Keen 6. almost 1.2 Calaveras about 614, Contra Costa 627, Santa Clara 630, Alameda 630, uh, and Mono County, of course, uh, a distinction I'm sure they don't want. Still the highest, I believe, at 6.935 per gallon. All right, we'll be back in five minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show. Coming back on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Douglas Show. Now, weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Take the Mike Douglas Show with you every weekday from 3 till 5. Download the free iHeartRadio app and follow 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A uh, quick note for those of you who are listening on the iHeart app. By the way, I love the iHeart app. Uh, when I'm around town, I'm walking into stores. I often have the uh, app playing in my ear as I'm listening to some of the other uh, programming here on KFIV. 
however, I've, for those of you who are streaming, uh, you are hearing a, a solo broadcast for you right now. Apparently, our, our main transmitter uh, has temporarily gone the way of the buffalo. So we are attempting to deliver technical CPR uh, to the transmitter and, and such to get us back on the air on the air. But for those of you who are listening on the app or you're live streaming, uh, we are available here to you, 209-551-3483. And uh, just wondering if you would like the opportunity to respond to some of what you heard from Sheriff Jeff Dirksy today. Our number uh, still works, even if you're streaming, 209-551-3483. I thought uh, a lot of interesting observations that the sheriff had just very quickly. One of them was, what are we to do? Since we have a supermajority of Democrats in Sacramento who appear not to want to uh, keep dangerous people in prison. And I liked his response to that. We have to start reaching out to our spheres of influence. We have to reach out beyond the politicians. And as I I think it reinforces my thesis here that coming up on June 7 and then on November 8, these are two major tipping points, not only for the nation, but I think for California as well. And so I think it uh, behooves us to make sure that we vote and uh, to talk about some of these issues with our spheres of influence, uh, ju- just sharing in, in non-offensive, non-jumping-up-and-down, uh, non-hateful, uh, semi-emotional ways, I guess, uh, the, the realities that we're dealing with, that a lot of very, very dangerous people are being let out of prison early according to Prop 47 and some other uh, uh, laws as well, and according to uh, some of the DAs around this state, especially George Gascon in Los Angeles and then Chesa Bodine in San Francisco, uh, they're reluctant to put people in prison in the first place, or at least give them a sentence that is appropriate uh, to the crime. Again, the big deal is deterrence, and uh, like to see a lot more of that today. Speaking of... June 7. And this has uh, been, been a little fascinating to me, thinking about is there anyone who can realistically unseat Gavin Newsom? And I have been wondering if Michael Schellenberger, running as an independent, might be someone who is a credible threat. And I'm not saying that Brian uh, Dolly is not a uh, Republican who's being endorsed by the state Republican Party. It's just that outside of the northern part of California, until his his uh, uh, spots began to run, his uh, radio uh, ads and such, Southern California really doesn't know who he is. But most of California, if not most of the nation, knows Michael Schellenberger as, as an author. And so I've been looking for insights into who Schellenberger really is and if he's making a, a, a good, verifiable uh, run for governor of, of California. So I ran across this article uh, in the SF Gate uh, today, and it's not necessarily a, a con- not necessarily, it's not what I would call a conservative uh, periodical, but uh, they, they often have fairly, some fairly good articles. And uh, they treat a lot of things uh, fairly, I believe. Anyway, they did an article, uh, and this is uh, was today, 
did an article today called Michael Schellenberger looks like the only candidate who has a chance at beating Gavin Newsom in California's governor race. And they make the point that, of course, in California, Democratic voters outnumber Republican voters two to one. And uh, so they say perhaps it's an over-exaggeration today to say, and they say this tongue-in-cheek, if the California Democratic Party's candidate for governor or senator was a paper bag and the California Republican Party's candidate was Abraham Lincoln, it seems likely the paper bag would triumph so long as it had a D next to its name and Lincoln had an R next to his. (laughs) They say... Perhaps that's an over-exaggeration, but it underscores the fact that this year's gubernatorial race will not be competitive if the California GOP-endorsed candidate Brian Dolly comes in second in the June 7 primary and advances to the general election. They say Newsom's running—this t- is interesting—Newsom is running TV ads boosting Dolly's name because— He'd prefer to run against the Republican and have a cakewalk to re-election. And that comes back to uh, a reality that some of the, I don't know that you could say that's a dirty trick. It's just uh, the reality that we deal with in today's politics. Uh, sometimes the uh, a candidate will support uh, an opposing candidate if they think they're the best one to beat. And I think this is probably what, what's happening uh, in this case. Uh, and they said so there hasn't been a lot of polling, public polling, to support this. But they're saying probably the main threat to uh, Dolly for second place on June 7 appears to be author Michael Schellenberger. Again, he's a no-party preference candidate, but thus far apparently he's raised a million dollars, the third highest sum behind Newsom and Dolly. And they say, well, polls indicate Newsom's approval is rating, uh, his rating is above water. A recent Public Poly Inst- uh, Policy Institute of California poll found that there are more residents who believe the state is headed in the wrong direction as opposed to residents who feel the state is headed in the right direction. So they say if Newsom ran against a well-funded independent candidate in November, that race would be much harder to predict than a showdown with another Republican. And again, I'm not advising this. I'm just saying it's an interesting reality. Now, Schellenberger has been very critical of Governor Newsom, and he's got a lot of online fans, and uh, he is uh, he wrote a book, I don't know if you've read it, called Apocalypse Never, Why Environmental Alarmism Hurts Us All. And he also wrote San Francisco, Why Progressives Ruin Cities. And he disagrees that he's perceived as being more conservative than liberal. Uh, He said he voted for Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton in the two previous elections. And he supports, this is interesting, he supports liberal policies such as a $15 minimum wage, access to abortion, and various gun control measures. So uh, they did an interview with him, and let me lift a, a couple of um, a couple of quotes out of here because I think it gives us uh, some insight into him. If you're curious, and I'm always curious 
Because I, I think in terms of ra- name recognition, Schellenberger probably has the edge uh, over anyone else but Gavin Newsom in, uh, in California. Uh, he was asked about, uh, you know, where he lines up with progressives or uh, conservatives. He says, if he guesses, if he had to summarize it, he uh, says, I, I would say I'm a liberal in my compassion for the vulnerable. I'm a libertarian in my passion for freedom. I'm a conservative in my belief that you need a civilization to support both of them. And here we go. I am in favor of legalized abortion. I'm in favor of strong gun safety rules. I favor universal psychiatric care. And philosophically, I would like to see universal health care, but it's not something I'm campaigning on because I don't think it's a, uh, it's a high priority. And so then uh, uh, SF Gate asked him, uh, Governor Newsom has talked about new gun control measures, including the private right of action bill modeled after the Texas abortion bill. Is gun policy a priority for you? He said simply, absolutely. And then they asked him, well, would you sign the bills that Governor Newsom said he would like to sign? Schellenberger said, very likely, I'd like to see the bills before I sign them and review them, but I'd be disposed to signing them. I've been in favor of a strong of strong gun safety laws my entire life, and I remain in favor of them. Notice uh, how he has picked those terms very carefully. Not gun control, gun safety laws. Well, gun safety laws to gun safety to me means how you handle the weapon, uh, how you're trained to use the weapon. I'm not sure that's what his uh, particular uh, defini- definition is uh, either. And let's see, um, he's talking about uh, open drug scenes, uh, homelessness, uh, crime policies related to homeless. Uh, and he says, um, I think we need to shut down the open drug scenes, and that's the right description of what they are. That's the word you Europeans use to describe what we call so-called homeless encampments. He says, in my research, I document how the word homeless is a propaganda word that tricks the brain into thinking this is fundamentally a problem of housing. And he says, we do need that, but people that do not have an underlying drug problem or mental illness typically do not go live in so-called homeless encampments. Says the people living inside those open drug scenes are suffering from untreated mental illness and late stage addiction. So uh, I'm just uh, I'm just saying that I for for those who are thinking, well, is is Schellenberger maybe Newsom light, or is he uh, best of the two? Uh, if uh, Brian uh, Daly cannot get real, cannot get elected, uh, is Schellenberger maybe a better a better alternative since he's more well known? Well, he carries a lot of positions that Brian Daly, to my understanding, uh, does not, and so it's it's going to be an interesting uh, interesting thing to see what happens on June seven. And if Schellenberger, uh, Schellenberger does get the nod, I think it's going to be very interesting to see 
where he's going to be a little left of center, right of center. And I think when it comes to uh, the issues of public policy related to abortion, public policy related to, uh, and I will say it, gun control, because that's what it is, government wanting to control guns, um, I, I think a lot of conservatives may be disappointed. We'll talk more about that. Continue again for those of you uh, joining us on the app or live streaming. Uh, good for you because right now on the air, uh, we have some transmitter problems. They're attempting to fix those very quickly. So hang in there. Thank you. Those of us, uh, those of you listening to live streaming or on the app, hang in there with us. We'll continue the Mike Douglas show in three minutes here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. You're listening to The Mike Douglas Show, the voice of the Valley. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to The Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And uh, to those of you listening on the radio, as opposed to, you, uh, opposed to those of you listening on the iHeartRadio app, and uh, live streaming as well, understand that apparently there was uh, an internet power outage in uh, parts of the Modesto area that apparently knocked us off the air uh, for uh, most of our first hour. But not to worry, Uh, we had a wonderful interview with uh, Stanislaus County Sheriff Jeff Dirksy during that time, and uh, we're going to play that for you uh, right after the top of the hour, right after we uh, go to news, weather, and traffic. So you'll miss nothing there. Those of you who are listening to the live stream and the app, uh, you will have the privilege of hearing an excellent interview uh, once again. So again, uh, you'll those of you just joining us on the air, yes, uh, we were off the air for a while, but our our crack team, that's probably not the right word to use anymore, crack, is it? Our, our excellent engineering team has us back on the air, and uh, so we thank them for that, and uh, we are moving ahead. By the way, just a program note for today, you get a bonus hour today. That's right. Uh, Trevor Carey apparently still under the weather a little bit. And so for today only, you get an extra bonus hour. That's right. We'll, Mike Douglas show will be on from 5 to 6 p.m. So we'll have uh, you'll have three hours where we can talk about the issues today. Uh, not only uh, here from 3 to 5 during our normal time, but we'll also be uh, here from 5 to 6 p.m. as well. So looking forward to that. More time to discuss issues with you again uh, looking uh, looking forward to that uh big news today of course michael sussman the former lawyer for hillary clinton's campaign uh, was charged with lying to the fbi by the durham team uh, he has been found not guilty by a jury in uh, the district of columbia uh, again he was charged with lying to the fbi about possible links between Russia and Donald Trump, if you remember, during the 2016 uh, election, uh, election process. Prosecutors said Mr. Sussman failed to disclose he was working for Hillary Clinton's campaign when he met with the FBI. What does this tell you? We have a few minutes to discuss this. What does it tell you? 209-551-3483. What does this tell you? Now, it was a jury, not a judge, but a jury that acquitted Mr. Sussman. Now, I will not go into all the details, but that jury composition is replete 
with people who have connections to the Democratic Party, if not the Clintons, and it is just, uh, it's just unreal. And it, it brings to my mind the fact that there are at least two levels of justice in the United States of America. There is the level of justice for most of us who don't wield a lot of power, don't wield a lot of money. And then there is the justice system for the people in charge, for the people who control government, for the people who have lots of money, uh, for the people who are connected with lots of money. I wish it were not so. But I think as we see from this example, it is so. You look at some of these people that have been charged with uh, basically trespassing on that January 6, 21 uh, incident at uh, the U.S. Capitol, and some of them were locked up for a long time. Some of them are doing prison time. Michael Sussman lies to it, which some of them... I... It just frustrates. Michael Sussman lied to the FBI, but the jury of his peers, apparently, in, in D.C., acquitted him. Now, I understand. That's the way it goes. That's our justice system. But what we're finding is, if you don't need any other evidence than today's decision, there is a two-tiered justice system, at least two tiers, in the United States of America one for the rich and powerful, and the other for the rest of us. June 7, November 8, tipping points. Tipping points, it's time for us to stand up, take control of who represents us. We'll be back with Sheriff Jeff Dirksy in five minutes here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV as the Mike Douglas Show continues. The show you love with even more local news and more local talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show, hour number two here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation. So happy you're with us. Now, I understand for those of you who may be listening on air, we had a few transmitter problems uh, first hour. Want to make sure you hear this interview with Sheriff Jeff Dirksy from Stanislaus County. Great interview. Uh, so let's get to it. Sheriff Dirksy, welcome to the Mike Douglas Show. Great to have you with us. Well, thanks, Mike. It's great to be back. Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, busy, busy, but good. Uh, one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on is uh, back uh, at the end of April, uh, the office of the district attorney sent out a notice that uh, a gentleman was being released uh, on parole, Terrell Lamont Threat. Uh, horrible, and we went over this on the show here, just a horrific act of, of murder uh, many years ago, and the parole board had decided <clears throat> apparently now that uh, he was good to go, and uh, their recommendation is that he be released. wanted to get your take on this and the effects of uh, Prop 47 and where we are day with these kinds of decisions by the state parole board yeah 
staff. Uh, unfortunately, we are seeing them over and over. And some of it's not even necessarily the parole board. Some of it's just state policy that is uh, changing and simply saying, you know, you know, changing their good time credits and so on so that they simply get out of prison earlier. Uh, I'm looking at a report on my computer right now that's kind of specific to the start from uh, since COVID started, but we have uh, we've tracked a total of 840 early releases in the last couple of years. Of those 840, 57% of those individuals have already reoffended. Um, some of them multiple times and. Uh, many for fairly serious crimes. So, uh, like, here's one for uh, assault with a deadly weapon. This guy was supposed to be in prison for four years and sent there in 2019, got out in 2021, and uh, ultimately rearrested the fifth time for ramming a stolen vehicle into a deputy's vehicle. Um, Here's another guy who was arrested for assault with a deadly weapon while he was supposed to be in prison. Um, the guy did uh, attempted different guy did attempted murder, a couple of drive-by shootings, should have been in prison. Uh, and I could, I mean, I could just go on and on with examples of this. Um, here's one that uh, he's in custody for murder again, and he should have been in prison. Uh, so. We see it regularly, and it's a direct result of the decisions that are coming out of the state. Sheriff, do we see any uh, – this may, this is probably a rhetorical question. <laughs> do we see any relief in sight, or as long as we have a supermajority uh, in Sacramento, are we, no pun intended, but handcuffed by this? Yeah, we are. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. There is no – um, rational thought uh, being occurring in Sacramento right now. It's like uh, you know, they just our elected legislators seem to keep, or not all of them, but the supermajority of them. They seem to simply look at things and say, "Hey, this is uh, we need to just throw more money at this problem and give them more programs and so on, you know, things to help them." And while that's all well and good. Uh, I mean, I'll be the first to say I would love it if, you know, somebody who went to my jail never came back, right? That they did their time, <clears throat> they they get rehabilitated, and they never come back. But we're not dealing, for the most part, with rational people. A lot of them are simply criminals, and this is the world that they live in. And until they choose to change how they go about doing business, uh, they're going to go out and reoffend, and Sacramento just does not seem to grasp that fact. Sheriff, as we look at deterrence, we look at propositions like this. We look at, and and we don't fortunately have that problem here in my estimation. But you look at DAs like George Gascon in Los Angeles County, and uh, and then we look at uh, Chase Bodine, San Francisco, and we see on 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 the on the front side of it, a reluctance to really give harsh sentences for harsh behavior. It seems like even when we have a county that is pro-law enforcement and uh, is is willing to take a good hard stand on enforcing the law, there's so much that's out of our control. I guess the question I'm asking is, 
what can we do other than respond at the ballot box? What else can we do as citizens that are quite perplexed by this? Yeah, I, I mean, I would tell you that everyone in our county needs to be sending letters, emails, phone calls to uh, their elected legislators. Now, I will say that both Adam Gray and Heath Flora, the two assemblymen that, that represent uh, our county currently, uh, as it sits today, they're, they are both 100% on board and, you know, they believe in the rule of law, law enforcement, keeping our communities safe. You know, but we need to start reaching out outside of them. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of the electoral maps now, it's really – it's less about being left versus right, and it's really almost more about um, urban versus rural, if you will. And, you know, when I say urban, I'm talking about the major metropolitan areas, Southern California, the Bay Area, Sacramento. You know, they're all – they all kind of go one way, and quite frankly, the rest – the geographically, the majority of the state really wants to see things different. And so I think our elect or our citizens, they need to go beyond just reaching out to our local legislators and start uh, reaching out to those in other areas and then reach out to your friends or family who live in those areas and tell them to do the same thing. You know, engage those legislators and start making a cry for change. Uh, that's that's ultimately what needs to happen. And I think you're starting to see it happen. I think that you are starting to see a lot of those folks that I'll just say are kind of politically just in the middle. Uh, they are starting to feel the impacts of this. You know, when you watch the news and you see all these smash and grabs and all of the nonsense that goes on in some of these other areas, uh, people are getting tired of it. When people, uh, you know, the San Francisco DA is up for recall, um, that, that tells you something. When you have a very um, non-law enforcement friendly city that is going to potentially going to recall their DA, uh, people are getting tired of this. I think the feeling I'm getting, especially as, as we talk to people here on the show, again, we're talking with Sheriff Jeff Dirksy, Stanislaus County. The feeling I'm, I'm sensing is nobody is opposed to rehabilitation. Nobody is opposed to lives being changed, but we're also recognizing what's real. And what's real is not everybody is going to respond to that, especially if they don't want to. And Good deterrence, stiff sentences are are appropriate, and uh, so I I resonate with what you're saying in in terms of connecting with others, and I I agree with you. I think the level of frustration amongst the public right now is such that people are starting to wake up and say something <clears throat> something has uh, has to change. So we appreciate your comments on that yep. line, Sheriff. Uh, no, I don't hundred percent. It does. I don't, I don't want to uh, conduct a Monday morning or even a Tuesday morning quarterback situation on the tragedy in Uvalde, but uh, let's, let's bring it home to Stanislaus County. Can you tell us what, uh, what do we have here in place in terms of protocols and training, uh, that would help us to respond to situations, tragic situations like they had in Uvalde? Yeah. Yeah, and it is just that. It is a, a tragedy, and I think we can all agree on that. You know, from that pure law enforcement standpoint, uh, I know that 
quite frankly, since I've been in this profession, I've been a cop now for 15 years, and our training has always been in, in Stanislaus County that, you know, if there is, God forbid, an incident like this, whether it's at a school or somewhere else, uh, the expectation is that the first cop on scene, whether it's a, you know, an MPD officer, a Turlock officer, a sheriff's deputy, the first cop on scene um, will move towards uh, the attacker uh, in an attempt to stop a tragedy like that. And then as everyone else starts to show up, they'll, they will uh, likewise, you know, fall in and move behind them and, uh, you know, in an attempt to stop it. So I believe from a kind of a policy standpoint, we're in a good position. Uh, we do quite a lot of training uh, for situations like this. Now, when I say that, it, you know, it's very difficult to replicate that scenario because you have to have a, an awful lot of actors, and right. uh, that's some, something that can only be done periodically. But, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, firearms training, whether it's, um, you know, um, scenario-based training or anything else, uh, and it doesn't have to be quite to this, you know, to that scale, uh, but we do do a number of different trainings that focus around that, um, you know, because, you know, one of the big things to overcome, too, is, you know, a cop or uh, any law enforcement person who's responding, you know, by nature, they want to stop and help victims. Uh, you know, say if someone is shot, but you can hear further gunfire, you literally have to move right past those who have already been injured uh, to stop the threat. And so we have uh, trained that uh, quite extensively. And, you know, I'm not going to Monday morning quarterback either or, I guess, Tuesday afternoon quarterback because I don't know the details of it. But uh, I would say that my expectation here you know, would be that if, God forbid, we ever see that scenario, you would see a very different type of response uh, take place. Lastly, uh, Sheriff, got about uh, two minutes left. Uh, in in the the time that you have been in your position as sheriff, anything that that you've learned uh, that has been new to you or revelations to you, things that have uh, helped you through your experience as sheriff to see the future a little better, anything come up on your radar screen that's been revelatory in, in any ways? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, you know, the idea of revelatory, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, we spend an awful lot of time uh, as a profession talking about ways to to prevent, you know, I'll go back to Evaldi, these major critical incidents. And, you know, one of our, our core values here at the sheriff's office is innovation. So we try to spend a lot of our time thinking about, okay, what if, how would we prevent whatever the case may be, an active shooter, uh, it could be drownings at the reservoir, you know, traffic issues, you know, from at least from the law enforcement standpoint. And I think that we have generally been fairly successful with that. Um, and that that forward thinking idea, you know, you know, I ask the question a lot of times. Okay, you know, I, I don't like the the answer of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, sometimes that's appropriate, but how can we do it better? And how can we really um, change the dynamic of how we do things? And, you know, in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of conversation about uh, the community and policing and race relations and so on. And all of that's very appropriate in that setting as well of changing that dynamic of, um, you know, 
keeping our community safe, engaging our community, but remember, remembering at the end of the day, our primary function is law enforcement as well. And, um, you know, getting out there and holding people accountable. So we have, I guess, by way of revelation, it is the amount of conversation and discussion that we have about all of these different kind of topics uh, just to, to both engage the community but to keep it safe. Our guest, Stanislaus County Sheriff Jeff Dirksy. Uh, sir, thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. I know you're, you're a busy man. Appreciate that very much. And congratulations. Uh, you're running unopposed. So I will say congratulations on your new term as sheriff. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Mike, and uh, happy to come on any time. All right, there's Sheriff Jeff Dirksy, Stanislaus County. Uh, thank him so much for spending some time with us today. We'll have some time to react to what you heard in three minutes. Here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360, KFIV, our phone number 209-551-3483. Back in three minutes. Here's more with the Voice of the Valley, Mike Douglas on Power Talk 1360 KFIV and streamed on the iHeartRadio app. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this warmish Tuesday afternoon here in California Central Valley. Mike Douglas with you, your concierge for conversation here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And just a quick program note, if you're uh, just recently joining us, today you get a bonus hour on the Mike Douglas Show. Our friend Trevor Carey still under the weather. Hope he's feeling better soon. Uh, he'll not be on the air today at 5 o'clock, so we are going to extend to a third hour today here on the Mike Douglas Show. So we'll be with you uh, again, uh, not only uh, until our time at 5 o'clock, but we'll be here 5 to 6 p.m. as well to give you and me uh, more time to talk about the issues of the day that affect you and me right here in California Central Valley. Uh, thinking about our conversation with uh, Stanislaus County Sheriff Jeff Dirksy, I think one of the last things we, we talked about when I was asking about any lessons that he's learned as sheriff uh, during this first term, uh, any, any revelations that he received, and I, I liked his comment about building things uh, or, or doing things better. And again, he's saying it doesn't really subscribe to the theory, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's some wisdom to that. However, in law enforcement, I think there's always uh, a, a next level of how can we do what we do better. And a lot of that involves communication with the, uh, with the public, with the community, which uh, I think uh, both Modesto Police Department and the Stanislaus County Sheriff's Department uh, do quite well. One of the issues that I think plays into this is that we have to remember it is not just law enforcement's responsibility. I think culturally, as a people, as a community, we have a responsibility as well. Now, now we think about some of these, the, the profiles of some of these shooters over the years, especially in, in mass shootings. Again, that definition uh, for people or more uh, injured or, uh, or died in, in the particular uh, event. Talking with people that work a lot with inmates, uh, 
Uh, one that I spoke to the other day said he's found that among the inmates that he deals with, a good 70% of them never had a father at home. 70% of them never had a father at home. And my friends, that that plays into it. Hollywood has made fun of fathers forever. The women's movement uh, oftentimes is saying we, we don't need men. We don't need fathers. Uh, they're abusive anyway. We need quality fathering in our homes. We need fathers present. And that comes back to a generational issue. When fathers are not present, that becomes a generational issue oftentimes, when there's no role model. But we can change that by raising children in the way that they should go, not not adopting this ridiculous philosophy, I'll just let my child figure it out for themselves and they can choose their own way. No, that's an abandonment of parenting. That's an abandonment of of the parental role. Part of the parental role is to guide and to form and to hone alongside truths that we know as parents, according to the worldview that we have in our homes. That is so missing today, and and we see it now. We we see the generational uh, fallout from that kind of an attitude. So we must invest in our children and take the time to make sure that we are instill, not beat it into them, but instill and model the values that we think are important. All right, coming up on the Mike Douglas Show, let's talk about student behaviors, uh, how they're being affected in five minutes. The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 1360 KFIV is your place online. Let's get social with Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this Tuesday afternoon in California's Central Valley. Mike Douglas with you, your concierge for conversation as we take a look at the issues of the day that affect you and me right here where we live in the Central Valley of California thinking about a lot of the profiles of the suspects and in, in mass shootings uh, again one of one of the reasons we hear so much about uh, limiting the ability to buy guns uh, at uh, age 18 is in many studies they're saying that the average age of a, of a school shooter is 18 years old, and so I think that's what's behind a lot of that. And, and we can discuss your perspectives on that, by the way, whether you think that's a, a good thing to up the age of uh, being able to purchase guns or not above 18, maybe to 21, whether you think that's actually going to deal with the issue or not. But one of the ancillary issues I'd I'd like to address relates to an article I saw this morning in Axios. Uh, They're talking about a study done by the New York Times that found many students are, quote, frozen socially and emotionally at the age they were when the pandemic started. And that's uh, according to a New York Times survey of 362 school counselors nationwide. So what they're saying is, according to their study, 
that students at the beginning of the pandemic, when we experienced all of these draconian lockdown measures, when students weren't allowed to go to school, they had to attend by Zoom, whatever it might be, and then they were allowed back in school, but uh, they had to wear uh, face masks and such. It's had a, a detrimental effect upon the students. My question to you is, have you heard any politicians who implemented these draconian policies, have you heard them say, well, maybe we were wrong about that. Maybe we need to learn something from that. I haven't. If you have, please let me know. I'd like to know who they are. I really haven't heard that uh, myself. Uh, Here's some of the results from that, ironically, from the New York Times. 94% of the counselors said students show more signs of anxiety and depression than before COVID. 94% of the counselors said students show more signs of anxiety and depression than before COVID. And 88% said students are having more trouble regulating their emotions. Uh, And almost three quarters said kids are having more difficulty solving conflicts with friends. We knew that was going to be an issue, did we not? When you deprive, part of the reason of having children in a social situation as they're being educated is that they learn socialization skills. Uh, They learn how to, well, they should learn, let me put it that way, if it's a good environment where they're not being told uh, they should change their gender or they're not being told that America is evil and that if they're white that uh, they'll never never be forgiven for slavery. I mean, if, if I'm talking about in a healthy socialization process, students experience bullies. They learn how to deal with bullies. Students experience maybe getting beat up. I did in junior high school, learned what to do so I didn't get beat up again. Students learn how to uh, how to resolve issues and disagree without being disagreeable. All of these things are learned within the context of socialization. So this is no surprise to you and me, is it? Uh, Jennifer Fine, a high school counselor in Chicago, says something that we continuously come back to is that our ninth graders were sixth graders the last time they have normative, uninterrupted, a normative, uninterrupted school year. So the the ninth graders now experienced all of these draconian lockdown features related to the pandemic when they were sixth graders. And now as ninth graders, there's like frozen in time. She said, developmentally, our students have skipped over crucial years of social and emotional development. So really, over-the-top, errant public policy has had a dramatic, deleterious effect upon our students across the nation. Here's a couple of other statistics looking at uh, this survey the New York Times did of uh, school counselors. Uh, 60-86% reported students were having trouble focusing on classwork. Uh, 72% said they were breaking 
classroom rules. 69% reported having trouble with time management skills. Uh, 58% having trouble collaborating on schoolwork with peers. And almost a little over half, 52%, were skipping class. And then emotional health. 94% showed signs of anxiety or depression. 94% of these counselors said they... The kids were showing signs of anxiety or depression. Having trouble with emotional regulation, 88%. 88%. Showing signs of low self-esteem, 67%. And that's that goes with the normal stuff of being in uh, elementary, junior high, and high school. We all go through stuff. But by, by being allowed to relate in a normal process, we learn how to deal with that. And we've robbed our, our children with that. And, and so the, the dots I'm connecting here, I don't know. And maybe we'll never know. The suspect in Uvalde, maybe we'll never know everything that contributed to this. But I'm wondering if some of these uh, issues perhaps played into, into his a development or or lack of it. Unsafe student behaviors. 85% reported uh, being chronically absent from school. 45% uh, using computers or the internet in school inappropriate ways. What is that a euphemism for, I wonder? Uh, vandalizing school property, 44%. Possessing drugs or alcohol, 38%. Engaging in Age-inappropriate sexual behavior, over a third, 31%. Now that I don't think we can lay at the feet of the pandemic. I think we have to lay that at the feet of school boards and administrators and teachers that are engaging their students in age-inappropriate education. Only 11% reported bringing non-firearm weapons to school. And bringing guns to school, only 3%. Huh. So what does that tell us? What does that tell us? We're putting all of this focus on guns, guns, guns. Instead of the development or the lack of development of the young people behind the guns. You look at all the money that's being promised to be thrown at gun control. And it's not dealing with the root cause. Now, getting back to that, let's talk about root root cause for a moment. I think we oversimplify this. Mental illness, yes, a factor, a factor. Not the factor, a factor. The home environment, a factor. Their worldview that they were brought up with or currently hold, a factor. Having a father in a home or not. Not having... One of the parents in the home, a mother not present in the home, a factor. Living in a a culture, in a state, or in a county where bad guys who do bad things get light prison sentences, a factor. You see, it all begins to be thrown into this pot that is simmering and simmering and simmering. And it's no wonder that we have young people very confused and, and their their minds not thinking right do things like this because we as a society have created on many different levels 
the growing grounds for this type of perspectives and these types of activities. What do you think? Do you agree that it's a multi-level issue, not, not just one issue? Our number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Another thing we're dealing with today, annoying a lot of parents, especially of young infants and babies, is the whole lack of baby formula. And a woman named Mary Voigt, V-O-U-G-H-T, wrote, I thought, an excellent op-ed piece a couple days ago on May 25th. I want to share the highlights of her thoughts with you in three minutes here on The Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A pastor with passion, a minister with manners. Now back to The Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Yeah, welcome back to The Mike Douglas Show here on this Tuesday afternoon. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much. And again, just a program note. We are going to give you a bonus hour today. That's right. We'll also be on the air from 5 to 6 p.m. today. Today only, uh, you get the bonus hour here on the Mike Douglas Show. Just gives us uh, some more time to talk about these issues together. And uh, Richard Pombo is going to be joining us again and uh, look forward to get his take on the upcoming primaries on June 7. And then, of course, the midterms coming up on November 8th. So looking forward to Richard Pombo joining us uh, just after uh, uh, the first of the hour, uh, a couple of minutes past the first of the hour, uh, coming up here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mary Voigt, Vought, maybe V-O-U-G-H-T, uh, wrote a op-ed piece uh, on the 25th, and she's a mother, and she was ruminating about the issue of the lack of baby formula. She says, hardworking American families deserve better than this. She says, the formula shortage brings to mind the famous quote from Ronald Reagan's first inaugural address, quote, in this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Amen. And I don't care what government it is, what administration it is, our, our, our default to, well, the government will solve it, really is, a, in my estimation, our problem. If we, if we take that attitude, it's our problem because we, the people, should be helping solve the problems. Government can is good at some things. It is not good at, I would say, 80% of the things that need to be solved today. All right, there's Mary Voigt going on. She says, a series of poor decisions by federal policymakers helped to create the shortages plaguing supermarket shelves. And some of the proposed solutions could end up making the problem worse. Now, this is very interesting, and, and some of you who, who deal with this may have some insights. She says, much of the problem began with the federal Women, Infants, and Children's program. We normally call that the WIC program, which funds over half of the baby formula purchased nationwide. She says, states competitively, uh, competitively bid out their WIC contracts for formula but those bids rely upon sole source contracts. As a result, families receiving WIC assistance can only purchase one brand of formula from their state's approved provider. 
So she goes on to explain that this contracting process means that in many states, the approved provider ends up with almost a monopoly on the formula market. And not only do WIC families purchase from their state's contracted brand, but retailers give this brand greater prominence and preference. So you see, here we go again, my friends, the federal government creating much of the problem that we're dealing with, never owning it, but creating the problem, and then it's you and me and and us using too many resources that become the problem. She says most non-WIC families buy that brand too. She says, ironically, a Biden administration that has spent much time talking about the need to promote competition has said precious little about how this government program actually stifles a robust marketplace for formula. She says Washington also harms the competition by impeding the import of safe infant formula produced overseas. She says the combination of tariffs, which raise the price of imported formula, and the regulatory prohibitions on trade have kept the American market largely closed to foreign manufacturers. So she's advocating against Washington micromanagement. It's, it's not common sense. She says it shouldn't require the federal government commandeering Pentagon aircraft to fly baby formula from Europe to the U.S. Formula manufacturers and retailers should have the power to do on their own. So you see, again, government creating the problem that they created. They're, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're advancing the problem. They're contributing to more problems with the problems that they created in the first place. And she says, meanwhile, a group of senators proposed legislation that would require formula suppliers to notify the FDA of potential shortages. She says the bill presupposes that in the event of another possible shortage, federal bureaucrats can engineer another big government plan to prevent a formula shortfall. She says the solution won't do anything but strangle manufacturers in additional red tape. She ends by saying, thankfully, Congress has passed legislation giving WIC recipients the flexibility now to buy whatever brand of formula they can find until the current shortages cease. But she says after the immediate crisis passes, rather rather than finding reasons to engineer another Washington power grab, lawmakers should look in the mirror and examine the ways in which government helped create this mess in the first place. Amen. Amen. Don't don't you find that good wisdom? And you see, the, the more government involves itself in things, especially the federal government, in things it really ought not to be involved in, it it it, it creates more problems. It it they pile on more problems. And it's so frustrating because the bureaucracy is not going to cut itself. The bureaucrats are going to keep doing what they keep doing unless we're heard on days like June 7 and November 8th. 
All right, coming up uh, shortly, Richard Pombo, a former congressman, is going to uh, be joining us. Uh, we're going to look forward to that conversation, talk about his take on what's coming up in the primaries on June 7 and the midterms on November 8th. All that coming up in five minutes. Don't go away here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show with your bonus third hour today on uh, Power Talk 1360 KFIV. It's been uh, one of those days when you the technical gremlins have reared their little tacky heads and we just keep rolling because we're professionals here on the Mike Douglas Show and we roll undaunted no matter what the technical issues are. Glad we're back on the air here and uh, thank you so much for joining us again today. You get a bonus hour of the Mike Douglas Show from 5 to 6 p.m. Trevor Carey uh, still a bit under the weather. We hope he's feeling better. Uh, Hopefully he'll be back tomorrow during this hour. As uh, as we progress through the hour, I I want to uh, remind you we live in interesting times, and when we live in interesting times, we need interesting guests and interesting guest hosts, and we have one of the best with us, uh, former Congressman Richard Pombo, our special guest right now. Richard, welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Great to have you with us today. It's great to be on. Good to hear you, Mike. Well. I want to uh, tap your your experience, your expertise. Uh, you're you're a veteran in in terms of uh, being a congressman and such. Let's let's talk about first of all very briefly, and we don't we don't want to uh, rehash who did what or Monday morning or Tuesday morning quarterback it, but the Uvalde issue as a congressman. How do you respond to that? As, as you were looking at that, what are things that, that go through the minds of folks in Congress and how they ought to respond to an incident like that? Well, you know, it, it's one of those things that just kind of tears at your gut. Uh, when I was first first running back in the early 90s, it was right after the, the Cleveland school shooting in Stockton, and that was one of the you know, the first big school shootings like that. And it's something that, you know, really emotionally tears at you. And it's something that you have to deal with. But at the same time, as a a federal legislator, you're bound to follow the Constitution. So you've got to balance what your, your emotion tells you and how you feel deep down inside about, what's going on in this country and what's wrong and what the constitution allows so you know when you look at something like this you have to say okay what can we do on the federal level that actually makes a difference in in stopping anything like this from happening in the future and you know right now you you look at Evalde and you know some of the the school shootings that have happened before that and you have to say what can we do to make a difference and i think part of that the big part of that in in protecting our kids 
is to say, how do we harden the target? How do we make sure that that it's not that easy for somebody to to enter a school like that? And I think that's really where you have to start when you look at what's constitutional, what's allowed, and not taking away innocent people's constitutional rights. But at the same time, you got to protect our kids. So what do we do to make it make it harder for anything like this to to happen in the future? I mean, part of it, you know, this shooter passed a background check. And, you know, so they talk about how do you expand background checks? Well, you know, how do you do that? And does it, would it have made any difference in this case or in any of the other school shootings that, that we've had or mass shootings or anything that's happened? And I think a, a big part of it when you talk about school shootings is you've got to, you've got to harden the target and you've got to make it almost impossible for anybody to get into a school. And that's sad, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I, I remember uh, when I, w- I went to school in, in Pasadena, John Muir High School down there, and and I remember coming back many years later and there were fences up, you know, because of security. I'm thinking, man, it looks almost, you know, like a the outside of a prison. But that's kind of the yeah. issue that we're dealing with today, right? We we have to give up some things in order to accomplish uh, accomplish others. Uh, Richard, we were talking earlier about how this is a multi level uh, approach in terms of seeking answers at you know, mental illness, uh, worldviews, uh, access to what I mean. It, there are many different issues. Does it frustrate you like it does me to hear many politicians try to make it a one-issue issue? Yeah, you know, I was had this conversation with my wife last night. We were watching the news on TV, and it's it's so frustrating to me and and my wife that every time you have something like this happens, they try to politicize it. And immediately they try to look for what is the political advantage I can gain from exploiting the death of of all these kids, and that's what they're doing. It, it's it's not about hey, how do we make this better? How do we sit down and figure out something that's going to be better than what we have right now? It's about how do I get a political advantage how does my party get a political advantage over the other guys by exploiting the death of of all these kids and that's what you're seeing happening right now it's not about you know how do we stop this from happening in the future it's how do we go into the november elections with an advantage and and that's what you're seeing every single day. And I don't care where you get your news, what what you watch, what cable news channel you watch at night. It's the same thing. It's how do we get a political advantage out of this? I was just going to say, uh, and again, our guest is uh, Richard Pombo, former congressman. I was just going to say, Richard, uh, if the proximity of uh, the uh, uh, June 7 election, and of course the midterms in November 8, does the proximity of those two uh, elections 
drive what's happening in Sacramento as well as in Washington? It sounds like uh, for a lot of uh, folks there, the answer is probably yes. The proximity of those elections oh, give fuel to it. A hundred percent. And I would say that there are very, very few, whether they're serving in, in Sacramento or in, in Washington, that aren't looking at this as a political advantage. And, and how do they take take advantage of, of this news? And as long as the press, as long as the media is highlighting this, they're going to write it for all it's worth. Mm. Yeah, so there you have another element is being facilitated by the mass media as well. Our special guest today uh, during our third bonus hour today on the Mike Douglas Show is Richard Pombo, former congressman. We'll open the phones after we come back, 209-551-3483, if you'd like to interact with Richard Pombo while we have them here. So we'll be back with Richard Pombo in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. He's got issues. Let's talk about it. The Mike Douglas Show, on air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Great to have you with us during this third bonus hour today on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. On the line with us is a former congressman and uh, and a periodic guest host here on the Mike Douglas Show, Richard Pombo. Uh, again, Richard, thanks so much for being with us. Let's... Uh, Let's uh, switch now to talking about the elections coming up. Primaries June 7, the midterm coming up November 8. With all of the mail-in ballots and the the potential for uh, chicanery, uh, how comfortable are you that we will have a, a fair election here in California? Are, are you comfortable with the way the rules are regarding ballots today? Well, it, in California, it, I have to say I'm not real comfortable with it. And a lot of the changes that have been made in the past, you know, three or four elections here in California law on on voter, voting and elections have made it a lot easier to manipulate the system and, and make it harder to have confidence in, in the vote. Um, I hate to say that because I think that uh, in most in most cases we we do have free and fair elections in in the United States, but California has made it so easy for people to manipulate the system that it's it it, it does make you wonder about the outcome when you know they legalized. Uh, ballot harvesting and you know made it uh, where they sent uh, ballots to everybody that was that was on the voting rolls regardless of whether they were dead or alive or moved or you know it, it just really calls into question how how much confidence you can have in a system that's like that and you know that's why I'm I'm kind of hesitant with the system that we have in California right now. Is there a lot of pressure on the county registrars of, of voters? Are they somewhat handcuffed uh, by the systems that they have to work with? 
Yeah, it, it, there is a lot of pressure on them, and, and for the most part, especially in the Central Valley, I think they do they do a good job of trying to stay on top of things. But but there are things that they can do. They can, you know, go through their, their voting rolls and update them and take off people that have have passed away, take off people that have moved, uh, take off people who haven't voted in several elections. When you're sending out a ballot to everybody whose name is on the the, vote, the voting list, you run into a lot of people who are who are not qualified to vote in that election. So the the county registrars can actually make a difference by making sure that their voting rolls are clean and and that they've removed everybody that they possibly can. How how do we affect that process is just John and Jane Doe living here in California. And, and we have, uh, we, we want to see fair elections. We don't want to be a pest just to be a pest. How, how do we help in that process? Well, part of that is, is by working with the, the registrar in your County. I mean, it, it's hard in, in a state as big as California and as populous as California is, it's it's hard to affect the outcome of an election. But it all comes down to your local county. So working with your registrar in making sure that your local county's ballot or voting re- registry is clear helps everybody in your county, and it. it ultimately helps the state to ensure that you have you have clean records and or clean voting and i i can tell you everybody that's in office everybody that runs every political consultant knows that that there's that there's a certain amount of fraud in every single election it, it, it happens. Everybody knows that. But the the real question comes down to, was it enough that it affected the election? And sometimes you have local elections that are, you know, a few votes, a few votes make the difference. And so you really got to start on the local level and push, you know, your Stanislaus County Registrar, your San Joaquin County Registrar, Make sure that your your voting rolls are clean at that level, because that affects your city council races, your school board races, your your board of supervisor races. It it has a huge impact on your daily life when you look at the local races, because that has a bigger impact on you day in and day out than who wins Congress or who wins the the governor's race. Richard Pombo, our guest. Richard, I think there's an erosion of public trust right now in government in general, uh, in, in Sacramento as well as in Washington, D.C., and we're constantly seeing things that, that contribute to that. My, my word to voters is all the more reason for us to get out and vote, all the more reason for us to get involved and not give up. Would you, would you agree with that encouragement to folks today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100 percent. You know, the the greatest thing that you can do as an American citizen 
is to vote in in every election. And it doesn't matter if it's a, a, a recall election or a special election where, you know, the voting turnout's usually low, uh, or a primary like we've come have coming up next week. You have to get out there and vote and educate yourself on who the candidates are, what they stand for, who what their background is, and go get out there and vote. It it's so easy to vote. It's not hard. And uh, you just need to participate in the system and and that's one of the greatest things you can do as part of your responsibility of being a citizen of this country is to exercise your right to vote. Richard Pombo with us. If you have a question that you'd like to ask the former congressman from his very unique perspectives, our telephone number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Again, we have a bonus hour for you, a third hour of the Mike Douglas Show for you today. Uh, hopefully, uh, Trevor Carey uh, will be back in good health tomorrow, be back with us here for this particular hour. And uh, just a reminder, coming up tomorrow, we're inviting candidates to share a one-minute pitch, so to speak, for why they're running, what they're running for, and why you should vote for them. That's all coming up tomorrow. And uh, we will have more with Richard Pombo coming up in five minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. With the big news of the day, here's more of the Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And Mike Douglas back with you here uh, in the 5 o'clock hour, filling in for Trevor Carey. Hopefully uh, Trevor will be feeling better. Back with us tomorrow at 5 p.m. So we have an opportunity to join you for a little extra time today. And the privilege of having join us, having join us is Richard Pombo, former congressman and uh, often a guest host here on the Mike Douglas Show. Uh, Richard, as we're looking at uh, the ballots that are already being returned, I'm looking at uh, some, some data about ballots mailed and returned. Some interesting perspectives or interesting results here. Let me go over those very quickly, uh, a few of these stats, and just get your reaction to them. Thus far, it looks like uh, the Democrats have a 53% uh, of the return rate so far. Republicans, about 26%, and Independent, another 22%. Uh, so uh, 53% uh, showing thus far of Democrats having uh, sent in their ballots. But what I find uh, interesting as well, Richard, is I'm looking at the demographics. The largest percentage of people who've returned their ballots thus far are ages 65 and up. The, uh, the smallest percentage is those 18 to 34 11 percent do you feel that that ratio will hold are the young people 18 to 34 are they turned off by the process you think or are they waiting to see what develops in terms of campaign promises and such there's a couple different issues there mike um one is that with the the rate of return Typically, the the absentee ballots um, you have uh, typically you have more 
response from uh, older people, seniors, uh, tend to uh, vote by absentee and, and send in their absentee ballots early. Um, typically in, in California, that's been the case. Um, and at the same time, you typically have a, a lower turnout amongst young, younger people. So I think that kind of fits along with, you know, the historic patterns. Um, when it comes to the percentage of people that have returned ballots, um, what we've seen over the, the past several elections in, in California is that Republicans tend to uh, show up and vote in person more often. And so they're on election day, their turnout is is normally higher than than the Democrat turnout. So there's a couple of, of different factors that play into this. Um, none of that none of that really surprises me at at this point in the voting. I do think that because of the uh, the division and and what's going on in politics in, in general in this country, it has a tendency to turn off uh, a lot of younger people. And I think that in this primary, you, you will probably see a lower turnout amongst younger people than, than you do against seniors. We always used to look at it that your most reliable voters were seniors and that they would turn out to vote whether it was by absentee or an in-person. Richard, do you think there's any confusion amongst the populace regarding the options on how to vote, uh, especially maybe uh, with, with some of the older generations, the, the options to mail in versus how to do it if you actually want to go in and vote in person? Do you think that's been clear, or do you think there's enough fogginess about that that some people are just confused? No, I, I think there is some confusion right now because in in the last general election they changed so many of the rules about about voting that it people really didn't know what to do. I mean, they did away with most places where you could vote in person, and you know the impact of the, that that had on turnout in in 2020. I think was was bigger than people realized. Um, so I do think that that there is some confusion in terms of of voting. But for your listeners, for for everybody that's out there, it, it, it's easy to vote. You have to vote, and all you have, you know, you get mailed a ballot, fill it out, and you can turn it in in person on election day bring it to the the voting place and just drop it off just turn it in it it makes it easy for you to go through it uh, you know we have a, a fairly long ballot so you know you may want to take a little extra time and go through it and and pick out who who you want to to vote for in the different races that are in front of you but you know, you you need to take advantage of that, and whether you're going to mail in your ballot, I personally would recommend dropping it off in person. That's what I do, 
and and make sure that my vote goes into that polling place because I want to know that that my vote's not going to be one of those that's counted a week later if it's counted at all. Exactly. I I don't know about you. I don't trust the uh, the mail. I really don't. And I, no, I yeah, don't. <laughs> I agree with you a hundred percent on that. Our our guest is Richard Pombo, former congressman and often a guest host here on the Mike Douglas Show. Again, filling in uh, today for Trevor Carey. Hopefully, Trevor will be back tomorrow. If you have a crest question for Richard Pombo, our number here two zero nine. Five five one three four eight three two zero nine five five one three four eight three. I want to ask you because of, of your experience. Um, I'm looking at the race uh, for District Five uh, in the primaries. You have Tom McClintock and you have Nathan Magsig from uh, down in the Fresno area, and w- we noted that uh, Magsig is being very aggressive in uh, his uh, campaign against McClintock. What's your read on what what we call negative campaigning, especially when it's someone against your your own party? And I'm not asking you to choose sides here, but you have any observations on that? Is, is there a amount of negative that's necessary in order to underscore the positive? What what's your read on that? I, you know, personally, I always hated the negative campaigning. I I never wanted to do it. Fortunately, in, in my races, um, up until my, my last race, I, I really never had to worry about going negative. I always felt that your, your strength with voters was just to go out there and be honest with them and say, this is what I believe in, and if you elect me, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, I've heard the ads. I've, I've heard what what they're uh, what they're saying and you know i have to tell you you know in all honesty i've known tom mcclintock for you know close to 30 years and i can tell you that he is a hundred percent a constitutionalist and i didn't always agree with his conclusion but at the same time I knew if he was voting one way or the other, it was because he felt like that was the right thing to do. He felt that that was the constitutionally right thing to do, and that's why he took that vote. And he could tell me why he took that vote. Even if he voted a different way than I did, he he knew exactly why he was doing it, and he could explain it. And I have a huge amount of respect for him for for being able to do that. I mean, a lot of these guys that are in Congress, they'll look up and see how, you know, the the minority leader or the speaker voted, and that's the way they vote. And they don't know why they voted yes or no. But, you know, there are a few guys that are, are, who serve back there that look at every single vote, and they know why they're voting the way they do. Richard Pombo, our guest, former congressman. Uh, Richard, we have quite a few uh, phone callers holding at the moment. So let's go to the phones right now, 209-551-3483. Melinda from Modesto, welcome. What's your question for Mr. Pombo? Well, first, hi, Richard. Haven't talked to you for a long time. Melinda Mason here. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) And we've been, I'm doing good. I hope you're doing well. It's so fun to hear your voice again. 
thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. You have been stalwart, and and of course Tom has been wonderful. Um, I'm suggesting to everyone that I'm meeting with in our area that they take their vote in, that they walk it in, that they do not soil their ballot before they go in, nor their envelope, and that they take it out of the envelope, go in, vote in person, ask for a precinct ballot, not a provisional, a precinct ballot, and make sure that goes through. The machine makes sure spoiled is written on the one that they were sent in the mail because that is also a provisional. Provisionals oftentimes never get counted. So we need to be wise. Well, you're you're right about that. If if the race isn't very very close, they don't even look at provisional ballots. So you're you're absolutely correct with that. And I encourage everybody to to go into the polling place and and cast their vote. I I think that is the safest and most secure way to make sure your vote is counted. Melinda, thank you so much for uh, your call. Uh, Robert, uh, Robert in Modesto, you're on with Richard Pombo. What's your question? Hey, Mr. Pombo, how are you? Good. Hey, I agree with the last caller when it comes to walking your vote into the precinct and dropping it off. I couldn't agree with her more. My question is, not this coming up election, but the prior election, I have some friends that moved to Pahrump, Nevada. She's receiving, she received two ballots from Stanislaus County for the prior election and just recently within the last two weeks she received another ballot from the Stanislaus County for a uh, for the next election that's coming up why are these people that don't even live in California that live in Nevada or receiving ballots that's my question well it's it's because and this is kind of what we were talking about a few minutes ago is that you you have to make sure that your county voting uh, rolls are clean and that people who moved are no longer on, on the voting rolls for your local county. And the only person that, that can control that is your local registrar. And you, everybody needs to work with the local registrar and make sure that they, that they clean up the, the voting list to make sure that people that passed away or people that moved away are no longer on that list. Because when California changed their rules and started just mailing a ballot to everybody that's on the list, all of a sudden you've got people who have passed away or or have moved away that are getting a ballot. And that opens it up to voting fraud because in states like California where uh, ballot harvesting is legal, you open that up to the possibility that somebody could take all of those people who either are no longer living or don't live here can fill out ballots on their behalf and turn them in. So in order to have free and fair elections, you've got to have clean voting rules to start with and that's one of the most important things to to clean up the system so that we can we can have confidence in in our elections robert great 
question. Great question. Thanks for your call. Appreciate that. Uh, Billy, hang on. We'll get to you in three minutes. Our guest is Richard Pombo. We'll be back to the phones and your questions for Richard coming up in three minutes. Here on the Mike Douglas Show, filling in today for Trevor Carey on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. On air and online. Take the Mike Douglas Show with you with the iHeartRadio app. Search 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas filling in for Trevor Carey today in the 5 o'clock hour here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Richard Pombo, former congressman and uh, occasional guest host here on the Mike Douglas Show, is our guest today. We're going to go back to the phones, 209-551-3483. Patiently waiting is Billy from Modesto. Billy, welcome. What's your question for Mr. Pombo? Mike, thanks for uh, having me on. And, uh, Richard, I remember your uh, campaigning. I, I was on your mailing list and supported you. As I was calling in, you were talking about somebody that you kind of respected how they voted. Were you talking about Tom McClintock at that moment? Yes, sir. Okay, because I've had a lot of respect for uh, Tom over the years. Mike, a, little, a couple weeks ago you mentioned something about iVoter Guide as a place to go to to get information iVoterGuide.com. Right, yeah, one of our uh, listeners brought that to our attention. Yeah. Well, I went there, and one of the things under McClintock was there's a whole bunch of uh, conservative scorecards and liberal scorecards. Planned Parenthood gave Tom a 0%. Um, the pro-life organizations and uh, Citizens Against Government Waste gave him very high ratings. I've always felt that, that Tom was a a real straight shooter, a real conservative conservative. Um, and I appreciated having Richard talk about him that way. I think anybody should be thankful to have Tom as their representative. Could I ask you this, Richard? It seems to me many of the years that, that, that Tom was back there, he was in the minority, which makes it not easy to get bills passed, right? Correct. So if he's in the minority, he's not going to get many bills passed. And then when the Republicans have the majority how many rhinos are back there not not helping either um i don't really care how many bills he got passed or not passed i always thought that that tom was right on with a lot of his positions i was very glad to hear you say that he could give you his rationale as to why he voted uh, on everything whether he agreed with you or not so i i appreciated hearing that um could I ask your take on George Radanovich? Were you back there with him also at the same time? Because I always had a lot of respect for him. Yeah, yeah, no, I served with George for uh, for a number of years. Um, ultimately, and he, after and he's uh, running for state office right now. Down yeah, there. he's running for the state senate now, and um, I I thought that George did a great job in in Congress uh, when when he served. I know that uh, he went through some some issues with his wife passing away, and he he moved back okay. home and to to uh, raise his son. And uh, well, now that that his son is raised, he decided to get back involved, and and he's running for the state senate now. Well, Richard, it, one of the things you talked about guy. was the negative campaigning going on, and it seemed to me that that both Tom and George, their opponent. Has 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 really kind of put the negative spin against him. What was Reagan's eleventh commandment? <laughs> Never yep. speak ill of another Republican. I yeah. I lost a and lot of respect 
for the people running against George and Tom when they've come out so negative, especially when I didn't think it was at all deserved. Uh, what's well, your take? I would rather the candidates tell you what they believe in and what they're going to do if they're elected. And, you know, the negative stuff, sometimes candidates turn to that, but I think a lot of times that's driven by the fact that uh, maybe they – maybe they their policies or what they believe in or their experience isn't what uh, doesn't match up with the person that they're running against. Well, Richard, that's what I always thought you did. That's what I always felt Tom did, and that's what I always felt George did. Uh, we're lucky to have these people running for us here, and I, you know, my, my hat is off to them. My support goes to all of them. Thank you for the job you did back there in Washington. And, well, thank and you. We find, you're welcome. Maybe find more people to replace you. That's what we need to do. Mike, thanks for letting me on today. All right, Billy, thanks for the call. Uh, thank you very much. Our guest right now, Richard Pombo, former congressman. Uh, Richard, we have uh, two or three minutes left. What's your take? Very interesting. Uh, Gavin Newsom, of course, uh, some might think, well, he's got a lock on the election come uh, November 8. What do you think of this Michael Schellenberger uh, versus maybe Brian Daly? Who who do you think may pose the, the most threat to Governor Newsom, if there can be a threat to his uh, his pre- his, president, his uh, governorship? Well, I, I think Daly is, uh, you know, I know him. He's, he's proven to me that he's consistent in his in his voting um he doesn't seem to to waver on on what he believes in or how he's going to vote um i think that that's something right now that that the voters are looking for um so you know obviously newsom's been all over the board on just about every single topic and we just need to put up a a candidate that is going to be clear about their positions, what they're going to do, what they believe in, and hopefully have enough money behind them that that people can hear their message. Have about a minute left, Richard. Uh, does does Daly need to do a little more in Southern California, folks down there that might not know him as well? Yeah, he does, and, and he needs to get more into <clears throat> the Inland Empire, Orange County, the Inland Empire down. Um, in San Diego, and then up through the valley and into the mountains, uh, in order to to have a chance to win. You know, obviously he's not going to win the Bay Area, and he's not going to win L.A. But if we drive up the voter turnout enough, and in, in the blue collar areas and and the Central Valley, he stands a chance of, of making a close race out of it, and, and that's what I would be looking for if I was if I was him or, or if I was a Republican candidate running against Newsom. That's that's the the way that I would do it is go after that. Richard Pombo, our guest today, former congressman. Richard, thanks so much for taking so much time to be with us today. Really appreciate your wisdom, and uh, look forward to our next conversation. I look forward to it, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to talk a time or two before the the primary. Sounds good. Uh, Richard Pombo, again, our, our guest today. Just a reminder, friends, tomorrow, 3 to 5 on Wednesday, we'll be taking calls from candidates. They can give us a one-minute pitch of why folks should vote for them. If you know a candidate, have them call, 209-551-3483. That's coming up tomorrow. 
on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Have a great evening.